Chelsea just said that I sound perfect. Perfection Patricia. Did you mean it? No. Oh. <laughs> energy that I'm coming in with today I have had just like one of those days where like how terrible things are really gets to you you know yeah I'm so glad you said that my heart is very sad right now I couldn't have catered more to our guest this week uh, without like really without meaning to and I'll get into that but we have Elisa joining us again what's up Elisa hey now I am so excited to see what you for me I'm like it's either tacos Harry Potter <laughs> like music maybe oh no travel I mean like no? the topic about how uh the longer your like lustrous blonde hair the better musician you are <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that because I keep I keep looking at it like I'm just one of those people that just like starts clipping, clipping little chunks off can we just talk about like my super smoking fiance who's about to walk by Go ahead, David. I mean, why does your fiance have the zoomies? <laughs> the zoomies. You know, like when a cat gets like, it's kind of mad five minutes and has to like it's run like, from <laughs> room to room at top speed and yeah, yeah. It makes little noises. Yeah. <laughs> We're recording for a podcast, babe. <laughs> right, so there is a movie I do want to point out. This is really important. Ellie knows all about it. Ellie knows all about it. There's a movie that was like, Formative to my childhood, it was called Rats with a Z and possibly an exclamation point. Rats was about teenage girls who turned their pet rats into the perfect boyfriends, but they were very rat-like in nature. <laughs> yes, and you're right to make that out. face of horror, Elisa. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what if, Elisa, like your fiance was not a rat because rats don't scurry, but like, what if it was like Mamba, which is my cat, who's very fast and powerful and muscular. Nine out of 10 friends and acquaintances say to me later, hey, I don't know if this is weird to say, but your cat's like really sexy. I believe I met Mama and I believe I also thought. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's in the way that like I had a crush on teenage Simba. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, okay. It's exactly it's that vibe. Same page, same page, It's the yeah. musculature. To understand the bit that you made, like, like we really had to go down this journey. <laughs> Wait, this was my what topic? I already started. Oh, great, great. <laughs> we want to introduce Elisa Irv. We just really got- I did. What'd you say about her? I said, I said Elisa's <laughs> back and we all love her. Well, she's a producer and a musician and she speaks Italian and she's married to a cat. <laughs> I'm really proud of my title. It's a two-parter. Oh, perfect. That's exactly how titles work. That's what well, titles are known for. Yes. <laughs> I've decided, yes, it's for each of you. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna launch it and you're gonna see what I understand. Oh my god. You, you're gonna see what I mean. You're gonna see what I mean. This is called the strongest potions. <gasps> forward slash the Belladonna's Belladonna. Oh my god. Potion seller, give me your strongest potions. Elisa, are you telling me that you are fully aware of potion seller? Do you know about potion seller? I'm feeling like maybe I don't. <laughs> One of my favorite internet videos of all time 
is a guy just playing with like 2008 photo booth for Mac where you can like make your face really funny and like if you move around, right? Yeah. We all had our time of like, well, that was our entire evening. The yeah. photo booth and the all yeah. the funny faces. Yeah. And so this guy takes the one where it squeezes you in the middle and he plays two characters, someone trying to buy a potion and the potion seller. <laughs> They're gonna fight. It's amazing. <laughs> I love it. I'm so excited. Okay, guys, the Belladonna's Belladonna. Well, so, okay, Belladonna means beautiful woman. So what you're yes. saying is the beautiful woman's beautiful woman. Am I? Am I, Elisa? Well, I have something to say. <laughs> I think about an Italian lady who poisons, and that's why it's for Elisa. Elisa loves murder. Ooh. And she's Chelsea. Like, you love murder. Chelsea, you are 100% correct. Oh my God. Now, Part of the reason I know that is because not last night I was playing Dungeons and Dragons and our DM had us go find Belladonna to poison someone. So that's what helped. Uh, shout out to Nash. Thanks for being our DM. Also, just really quick, want to um, shout out to my mother, whose name is also Donna, and my dad, who's from Italy, and wrote a song about her called Belladonna. Oh, that's cute. Ellie's like, I actually did a lot of research and that's part of the reason why. No, you know what? I will tell you this and this is probably going to erase my points, but I feel like it's 100% worth it. I didn't realize how good this was as a match for you, the judge, until we started talking on like went on the Zoom call. <laughs> I mean, and I was like, holy shit. It's perfect. She's fucking done it, guys. <laughs> yeah. It was a great moment for me. Well, now I have like title anxiety. You know I get title insecure, Eleanor. I, I know you do, yeah. The road to justice and peace. Aww. What's oh, nicer? Oh, I feel like it's about the protests, yes? No? I mean, it's related. Okay. Mm. Like related, adjacent related, or like directly I mean, it's related. about what the protests are about. Okay. <laughs> I will say, okay, wait, this is like, again, just what? a really fun aside since my title wasn't fun. Um, and you know I love to give people some fun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I feel like when we were growing up, right, we were taught by our like well-meaning parents, oh, you shouldn't say black, like you should say African-American. It was like, that is disrespectful. You should say African-American. And it wasn't until I got older, especially like in high school and college and like talking to friends like that, they were like, no, like, why are you trying to imply, like that sort of like implies, right. and I think like there was like a, I'm not saying this is how everybody always felt. Like, I think it was like a, an overall like, like social movement, but it seems like over time it's been like, no, you can just say black people, like right. that's fine. And like trying to be like overly cautious makes it almost seem like there's something wrong with being black. There's so something like, to be cautious like, about. Right, so like, that's why I feel like there's been sort of like the, the reclaiming of black. Um, and hmm. then you definitely hear people who are not black say like black people and it seems like that is like kind of the general consensus of what we should say. And my absolute favorite thing that I ever saw ever was when I was living, <laughs> I don't know if you guys have ever heard about this. Oh my God. I don't think I've ever brought it up, but I actually like, <laughs> lived in France, was going to school there. And when I was in one of my like French language immersion classes, somebody was trying to talk about the effect of Barack Obama's election on like black communities around the world and just watching them struggle with mm. how to say un American Afrique, trying so hard. And then finally the teacher was like, we don't have African-Americans here, we're French. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, 
so embarrassed. And it was like oh. just like one of those like cognitive dissonance moments where like oh, yeah. she was trying so hard and she was also translating in her head and like trying to do the right thing. And she basically just called like all black people in Europe African Americans. <laughs> they were like, we don't have those because we're not American. What what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, ah and it was great. Oh no. So my topic, as discussed earlier, is about what it means when we say we want to defund the police. Thank you. Yes. This is so great. Okay. And this is this is meant to be not by any means exhaustive. It is like an, a beginning primer. An overview, perhaps? It is it is overview-esque because we're gonna touch on the why and the how, and then most importantly, the how to talk about it with other people. Mm-hmm. Because Eliza, if you didn't hear before the last time that I said that I wanna talk about this on the podcast, uh, one of the things <laughs> about defund the police that I think makes it so important right now is that it is still a provocative topic. Like you bring it up with people and like whether or not they're into it or they hate it, they wanna talk about it. As opposed to other things that are really important to social welfare, like, for example, Medicare for all, where people just, they hear that and they feel, for better or worse, like they already know everything they need to know about it, which is a real tragedy because it would be immensely helpful for all people. But defund the police. You say this to people, some people will get really freaked out. And you can kind of understand why, especially if you, like, watch a lot of, you know, Law & Order SVU, if you are paying attention to the news where it's, you know, police brutality is on the forefront. If you listen to a lot of true crime podcasts, you get this idea that like you defund the police or abolish the police. And all of a sudden, like you're living in the wild west or like the walk where you have to defend yourself against cannibals all day long. (laughs) That really scares people. That's not exactly what we're talking about when we talk about abolish the police. And so the first thing that I want us to kind of get into the headspace of here on the podcast when we talk about this is I want to talk about top-down versus bottom-up modes of thinking. Okay. What I mean by that is most of us in our lives, when we enter into a pre-existing system, we approach it in sort of top-down processing. So a really good example for this is the three of us, we work at the same company, right? We work at the same media company. (laughs) And no, so this is because like, this is not inherently a bad thing, top-down versus bottom-up. So the three of us entered an existing system, which was the company where we work. Yeah. And we immediately started to think as creative people about how we could make videos and podcasts and content that would work within that system. That's top down processing. So it already exists. We're coming in at the top and we start to think down towards the base level building blocks that we could add into this system. Mm -hmm. I am sure that somebody who is smarter than me has already like thought about this and like has a different terminology for it. And I don't know what it is. This is just what I call it in my mind. Okay. Bottom up processing is when you discard everything that you already know about a system and you try to think about what you would want that system to look like. So the great thing about bottom up processing is that one, it helps you identify where some of your blind spots are because it forces you to build things from scratch. So going back to like our work example, again, there's nothing inherently wrong 
with us going in and trying to do our jobs well by trying to think about what the existing system is and working within it. Yeah. Say we came in one day and we were like, <laughs> say we came in one day and our mutual boss, Cameron, who rules, like RIP in peace to Cameron, who is alive. But what I say, <laughs> Cameron was like, forget, <laughs> forget everything that you know about your job. What do you do all day? That would be bottom up processing, right? We would build out what uh-huh. we think it would look like. So when it comes to policing, I want us to start thinking in terms of bottom up processing versus top down processing. Top down processing says we should reform the police. We should go in to this existing system right. and try to fix the things about it that aren't working and make it better. Bottom up processing says <laughs> we live in a society. So what do we <laughs> what would we want that to look like? What would we want peace? essentially, to look like in our society. Oh, yeah, justice. Justice and peace. What do we want those to look like on a day-to-day basis in our society? And I mean, I think that most people would agree, like we want there to be social and racial equality. We want there to be protections for all people under the law. We want there to be a removal of the systems of inequality that are already in place that make it so that, for example, you have crime around different communities because certain communities have been disadvantaged for generations, right? So like that's a system of inequality that just coming in on the top level of policing and addressing is not gonna fix. Mm -hmm. So how does this connect back with defunding the police? Well, a big part of it is looking at the history of the police. I'm gonna make an assumption here about you guys. I would say as a white passing young woman, I mean, I'm going to be honest, most of my interactions with the police have been pretty nice. They are nice to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Like they are nice to me on an individual level. And I think because most of my interactions have been largely positive, I have this general idea of the police just being like this sort of like storied institution. It builds up alongside society itself. But especially in terms of America, that is not the case. It's actually a pretty new institution. So a lot of this information on this following part comes from an article in Time magazine where they interviewed Gary Potter, who is the Associate Dean of Justice Studies at Eastern Kentucky University. And he explains that at the beginning of the founding of the United States, and especially like back when it was colonies, and then when it was a new nation, you had kind of a dual system of policing. You had a volunteer night watch, which everybody loves like that idea of like, you know, the night watchman or whatever, which was just like when you had like a village you know, you have a small village somewhere, like a little farming community, all the men in the community would take turns doing night watch. That's it. Like in Red Dead Redemption. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So so that was night watch. And then the other option was that if you were wealthy enough, you could hire essentially armed guards. Right. And those are like the origins of the police in the United States. The first publicly funded police force started in Boston in 1636. But even saying that that's like a publicly funded, it's not anything that looks like what we think of the police today. That is people who were put on watch as a form of punishment. So kind of think more like the Night's Watch in uh, Game of Thrones. Oh, wow. So if you fuck up, oh, which is like, if you fuck up in the military, you have to go do the watch in Boston. Wow. So, again, not, not a unified, uh, codified force. Right. Here's where it gets uh, pretty dark. The primary policing institutions that were built in America started in the south and they were to protect slavery so we're talking about slave catchers i think for a lot of us like our primary interaction with uh that concept comes from you know film and television like roots or 12 years a slave we talked about that last week 
yeah, had prominent depictions of slave catchers, uh, pretty brutal. Uh, the first formal slave patrol was created in the Carolina colonies in 1704. During the Civil War, the military, the Confederate military, kind of took over as both fighting the Civil War and also catching slaves and protecting slavery from what they saw as insurgents from the Union. And then during yeah. Reconstruction, which was the period immediately following the Civil War, wherein the newly reunified uh, United States was supposed to abolish slavery and fix everything, which they sure didn't. That is when the slave patrols deputized sheriffs and created the modern police force. Oh boy. Yeah, it's great. Going back to like this bottom-up processing, if we're thinking of this ideal police force, right, if we're building this ideal community wellness and community peace and justice, why should we ask our Black communities to accept a program that was born out of slave catching as our primary mm -hmm. law enforcement and peace and justice program. Right. I don't think we should. And if there's an opportunity for us to reconsider that proposal, that should be that should be a huge part of the argument. Oh, totally. And I and I don't think it's unfair because you know, uh, the DNA of the United States first of all is rebellion and second of all it's this idea that like we are doing an american experiment right so we keep trying things and then if they're not working for everyone we're supposed to it's in the constitution we're supposed to scrap it and start over and that's why so many <laughs> of our institutions have been scrapped and restarted multiple times like everybody wants to abolish ice which they should and one of the key things they bring up is that ice is only like 12 years old because before that it was the ins but the ins wasn't working so they abolished it and created ICE. And they're probably going to abolish ICE and create something else. So there's no reason that we can't abolish the police force as we understand it now to create something that better serves communities, especially if it has its roots in something as abhorrent as slave catching. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but when I go back to this bottom-up vision of what I would want a police force or a peace and justice force to do in my community... I would want them to be appropriately trained for what I'm asking them to do. Mm -hmm. And that's not just for me yep. and my safety. That's for their safety and their peace of mind, right? I don't know about you guys, but like I make podcasts all day. I don't want to be asked to uh, have the nuclear codes. I don't want to be right. asked to save somebody's life in an ER. I don't want to be given a gun <laughs> and right. told to enforce the law. So I did a little research about what it takes to become a police officer. And obviously, oh. <laughs> because this isn't- Look how. Oh yeah, you interested? Yeah, how many hours? I think you might be surprised. This is an average because like so many things in the United States, it's not federally codified. So different police forces and precincts are gonna have different requirements. It's very rare to almost non-existence that a police force would require all uniformed officers to have a four-year degree. Some of them do require not a two-year degree, but like a certain amount of college hours, but that is the exception, not the rule. The average across the country is 840 hours, according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, which is a federal bureau. Mm -hmm. So 840 hours. To put that in perspective, it takes a thousand hours to become a cosmetologist. Fifteen hundred, <laughs> if you include like their... Uh... True, like if you want to do any kind of skincare. Yeah. Uh, if you want to do like facials and stuff like that, uh, just to get your cosmetology license in the state of Texas, which means to be able to like cut hair and do nails, oh, not like oh. anything extra, yeah, yeah. Uh, it takes 2000 hours to be certified as an auto mechanic. And now most hotel and uh, restaurant chains require a four year hospitality degree 
to be a manager of a hotel or what? a restaurant chain. Yeah. So, and I say that not to disparage any of those jobs, because I think all of those jobs require a certain hands-on with people, right? Right. But the difference is, is that we don't put a gun in the hands of our nail technicians and ask them to enforce the law. It is also to say that this isn't fair to cops, right? Like, we shouldn't give somebody power over life and death. Right and give them 840 hours of classroom experience and then say, all right, do what you can. Stay safe out there, buddy. And also have to handle like many more things other than just policing. It's like having to deal with mental health cases. Aliza, can I just say that you are so smart and (laughs) so intuitive. I am very interested in this topic and I've I've been learning a lot about it recently. I'm glad that you brought that up because that would be my next point was, so we've agreed when we're kind of working in this bottom up processing and we're imagining our ideal community and our ideal peace and justice workforce for this community, we want them to be adequately trained to respond appropriately and we want them to be coming from a basis like, this sounds like real bare minimum, but we we don't want them to be a descendant from slave catchers. That's what we've established, right? Mm-hmm. In our right. processing. So yeah, let's move on to like what the police right now actually does, which as Aliza brought up, they do a lot more than law enforcement because actually, and this is again, like this is something that I think is really surprising to a lot of people based on the sort of sheer amount of content that we consume, both about like real life police brutality and violent incidences involving the police, but also because of like our huge interest in like crime serials and true crime and things like that. I think we have this idea that like, gosh, just crime is everywhere and it's happening all the time. When in reality, there's a great article right now on the New York Times, which I don't always say because New York Times sometimes I don't know what the fuck y'all are doing, but right now they have a really good op-ed that's like, yes, we literally mean abolish the police. They have a quote from Alex Vitale, who's the coordinator of the Policing and Social Justice Project at Brooklyn College, and he points out that felonies are actually pretty rare. The vast majority of police officers only make one felony arrest a year. That's nationwide. Whoa. We're talking about a very diverse nation, so what it probably boils down to is that you have lots and lots of communities with huge police forces. For example, for us, like Round Rock or like Williams County that probably have like most of their officers are not going to make a felony arrest in a year. And then you'll have inner city areas that might have more than that. But the point is, is that non-detectives, just uniformed police officers, they're not going out there and making felony arrests every day. So what are they doing? They're doing, like you said, mental health checks. They're dealing with substance abuse calls. They're first responders on a whole host of uh, medical issues that they're not trained for. They're doing elder care, you know, uh, something that when I used to be like a babysitter, sometimes I would work with older parents of children and their family members would call like every every night at like 8 p.m. And if somebody didn't answer the phone, they called the police and have the police do a welfare check. And that's actually really common Uh, for elders who live alone. I mean, just beyond the fact that they're not trained and like beyond the fact that it could potentially, you know, worst case scenario, escalate into something violent. It's just not a good use of of that resource. Why would we have law enforcement be doing welfare checks on people? Right. They're called for domestic disputes, which can involve violence or violent crime, but a lot of times don't. Sometimes it's like, yeah, my cousin took my boat. (laughs) Do we really need somebody with a gun to come up and be like, God, just give him back his goddamn. (laughs) I don't you know what I mean like that could be a mediator that could be somebody who's trained to deal with domestic disputes that are of like a non-violent 
non-criminal aspect. They also, you know, as we know, do traffic control and event control, which kind of touches law enforcement, but it's also not, it is not in and of itself law enforcement. Uh, South by Southwest has a huge contract with APD where they pay APD outside of being police officers to just come be event enforcement during their major event to do like crowd control. Like to say like, oh, you should, you should walk this. You're a large group of people. You should walk this Mm -hmm. way. They get paid extra for that. Okay. (laughs) So why are we asking police officers to perform jobs they're not trained for? That's not what I would design in my theoretical peace and justice force, right? Right. When we talk about defunding the police, we talk about abolishing the police. We've already kind of established large scale systemic issues within the way that the force operates that's not fair to the communities that they're serving and it's not fair to the officers themselves. Yeah. The other thing that's not fair (laughs) is the amount of money that we spend on the police. We have a lot of ideas about generally public services being underfunded and that can be a huge issue. It is generally not an issue for the police. The 2019-2020 fiscal budget for the city of Austin, which is, as I think we can all attest to, not a city with a major crime problem. There's crime and it, like any other you know, mid-sized city, but this is not a city that's known as dangerous. 40% of the entire city's budget was for APD. What the fuck? 40%. <laughs> well, okay, I do have a question. Yeah. This is something that I've thought about when understanding, when trying to learn more about defunding the police. Is there any way that they're even trying to spin that budget in a way that's like, well, yeah, we're doing a lot of jobs that we shouldn't be doing. Are they using it because they have to do all these other jobs that are not just strictly law enforcement? The answer to that question is no. The answer to your question about whether or not they're spinning it, it's actually the opposite. I think the biggest thing, and like, thank you, Chelsea, for doing this, is that it is a scary... It sounds scary. It sounds scary. And here's, okay, a couple things that I read, and this is all online, and I can't remember exactly who the original quote came from, but... Okay. Defunding the police sounds scary until you realize that we've been defunding education for years. Right. Oh, that, yeah, we do that all the time. Like, are constantly yeah. funding education. I mean, in Oklahoma, they've gone to a four-day school week. What the fuck? Did you not know that? No, That's when? How much they've defunded education in Oklahoma, it's a four-day school week. I have this quote here from Ken Cassidy, who's the president of the Austin Police Association, which if you go to their website, it's a little vague, but what it says is that their mission is to support and advocate for all members of the Austin police, uh, their families, and Austin's diverse community. Uh, and they also have big on their front page, public safety alert, don't let them defund the police. Uh, okay. So these are people who are arguably very much against defunding the police, saying that the police should stay, yay police. But even Ken Cassidy, the president of that association, says, we're supportive of getting rid of officers going to mental health calls. Take that job from us. They're medical professionals, and we're not. Right. Oh, right. So even the people who are against defunding the police say they should not be taking this work. So therefore where we're in disagreement is I say, okay, well give me like even 15% of your budget to hire right. social workers because social workers have master's degrees. That's a job you have to have a master's degree for. So we need to be hiring these people. They're highly qualified. We need to be paying them a living wage and we need to be using them exclusively for mental health. Maybe we even go crazy and pay them more. Than oh, yeah. Wage. No, living wage, bare minimum. Like maybe- Whoa there, Elisa. We abolished the police and we started over with our own peace and justice and community welfare organizations that took care of law enforcement, but also took care of 
all of these community-based situations using highly skilled workers in that specific field, we would have, this is not an exaggeration, billions of dollars left over. This is billions of dollars just coming out of, out of a broken, a fundamentally broken mm -hmm. system to address housing, education, healthcare, access to food and clean water. These are the basic building blocks for crime and violence. Mm -hmm. is lack of access to these basic structures. I truly believe, and there's a lot of evidence around the world to support the idea that you fix these fundamental building blocks of society, again, thinking bottom up instead of top down, and you will cut crime exponentially. Mm -hmm. Basically, we have an incredibly expensive program born out of an incredibly racist paradigm that does not solve the problem it's meant to solve, overcorrects in the rare instance that it goes out and tries to solve the problem it's meant to solve, and then is sent out in a majority of ways that it's not qualified to address. Why would you ever want to continue to pay for that? Right. Yeah. Focusing on housing, education, healthcare, food, and clean water, like focusing on those might look like reparations. It might look like exactly. direct aid. There's again, a lot of evidence to support the idea that direct aid helps people. One of the best uh, evidence that you can look at in your own time is right now. I'm not saying that like those uh, COVID checks have like staunched the bleeding, but even the Republicans had to say, oh my God, no one can go to work. <laughs> no one can go to work. No one's doing anything. Uh, manufacturing and hospitality and tourism and all these, all these major industries have stopped. I guess we should just give people money I read this thing that when you, right when you brought up the fact that this is what you were talking about, um, I found this post on Instagram that I had saved um, mm -hmm. that I love, and I feel like it perfectly encapsulates what you're saying, but also helped me understand that it wasn't so scary. And this guy, uh, I'm not sure if he's the original person, but I believe David Doubt, uh, D-A-U-T, uh -huh. tweeted... I know, quote, defund the police seems radical and scary, but, quote, dissolve police departments, then rebuild them as one small facet in a network of specialized services so police aren't called to handle problems they're woefully ill-equipped to solve, end quote, isn't easy to chant. It's true. <laughs> yeah, it is a really good summation. Like, I feel like oh. another And it was kind of scary to hear yeah. that. And then once I did a little bit more, just like the smallest little bit of self-education on it, it makes so much more sense. Even though it sounds like this radical idea, it's actually really not. It's really, really not. It, yeah, it really isn't. It sounds super radical. I really commend people who hear it, find it scary, and then still take the time to say, well, I need to learn more about what this means. That's an informed electorate, right? Mm -hmm. Not everybody's gonna agree all the time about the best course of action. The last thing I wanna say, and this I think is like also, I think the top-down, bottom-up processing is a great way to start to talk about these things with people in your family or your circle. It starts from a place of privilege and it also starts in like, more like an like a creative exercise. So it's like, let's let's chat together, let's brainstorm what we would want this to look like if we yeah. were just building it from scratch, if we were playing SimCity or something. And then once you- <laughs> Yes, indeed. Yeah, and once you've both kind of agreed on what you would want that to look like, that's when you can start to pull out some of these statistics and some of these kind of troubling issues and say, so doesn't it sound, so now I think we can maybe kind of agree that there's a vast chasm between what we both agreed we would want this to look like and what it currently looks like. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I don't know about you, but like, for example, like if I went to Target to buy a vacuum because my cat like, sheds hair sometimes and they were like oh this is a vacuum it will definitely pick up that hair 
it also will sometimes set your floor on fire. Oh, also, it cost $15,000 and it was manufactured by racists. I would be like, I don't want that vacuum cleaner. I and don't like, want but that it one. it does get rid of the hair and you have hair. Sometimes. Your- it doesn't sound like the best option. There's got to be another way. And there <laughs> is. Abolish the police. Damn, Chelsea. Mic drop. I got to say, I am so blown away by your research and by putting it into muggle words that I can <laughs> and that I think a lot of people will be able to take away and take to their families and to their communities and be able to explain or just start conversations about this and I think that that is so important and something that I'm super passionate about I don't know how many points you're allowed to give I want to give them all um I'm gonna give you're you all of them Ellie. I'm gonna Ellie give you I'm going to give you 15 points for just an incredible topic. I'm going to take away one point for saying bottoms up so many times and not (laughs) at some point quoting the Trey Song's song bottoms up because I know I wasn't the only one who was like bottoms up, bottoms up. I am though going to add I'm going to just add that point back no you know what I'm going to add you four points back fuck oh my (laughs) one for every sims game that's been released because of the fact that you mentioned sims and I think that that's the perfect way to think about rebuilding certain things and also just because it hits a personal note, if you pick up the guitar in Sims 3, it's uh-huh. my dad playing. So <gasps> that it's true? It's true. That's so I have a special place in my heart for it. What the fuck? I can't even be upset now. Can't even be mad now. <laughs> <laughs> The strongest potions. Strongest potion. The Belladonna's Belladonna. If Julia Tofana's confessions are to be believed, then the lethal potion maker is the most, one of the most prolific serial killers in all of history. What? What? Wait, so she (gasps) confessed to being one of the most prolific serial killers? Yes. Ooh, okay. Okay, so we're talking Italy. 17th century 17th century (laughs) yeah this is how my hamilton play starts 17th century italy women are considered a commodity it's true (laughs) women are basically auctioned off to abusive or like terrible marriages like that's really what happens the most which is pretty pretty bad like no financial social power so literally every woman growing up had sort of three options at their disposal one they got married two they stayed single and relied on sex work to survive. Or they became respected and well-off widows, which sort of also required the first one. And was also deeply cool. <laughs> Very deeply cool. Obviously, many women are thought of like, the idea of being a widow was like one, really something that you wanted much more than being married. Oh my God. But luckily for them, 17th century Rome had a criminal 
magical underworld that made this possible so when we're talking about yeah so when we're talking about magic i mean like black magic which was like alchemists and like apothecaries and people who made potions or as it was seen dabbling in the dark arts and essentially it's kind of a version of what we were talking about before is like these are just people who did things that like doctors and priests couldn't or wouldn't do like a schmorschen yeah. yeah, I was just going to say, get a <laughs> let's talk about Julia Tofana. Yes. Not much is known about her background, but they think that she came from Palermo in Sicily. Hey, mm-hmm. my Sicilian sister. Around 1620. <laughs> okay. um, and my brain just goes like 420 because of military time. And then I'm like, blaze it. <laughs> Thanks for letting us know. Yes, yes, you're welcome. Tefania <laughs> D'Amado was this woman's mum. And she had her own fairly dark history. In 1633, she was executed for the murder of her husband. And what was her alleged weapon of choice? Potions. Poison. Oh, which is basically a Which is a potion. <laughs> <laughs> is this one of those things that the ladies would carry it in their ring and then their ring would open? <gasps> no, but it is like almost as good. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. So Julia Tofana became a widow. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> and moved with her daughter to Naples and then Rome. Okay. Allegedly, she began selling this lethal concoction under her own name, like a private business kind of thing. So with the help of her daughter and a group of reliable women, that's in quotation marks, Tofana gained a reputation as a friend to troubled women. Her group of poisoners may have also recruited a local Roman priest, is the thought, to take part in the criminal network. But, like, information around this woman is, like, pretty hard to find at the beginning of her uh, endeavours because this is all based on her confession that happened later. Uh Uh-huh. What's generally believed is that this Roman priest supplied arsenic for the poison and Tefana and her colleagues disguised it as a cosmetic for their customers. So to anyone else, it looked like this harmless bottle of face cream. I love everything about this. Yeah, this is so strong. They call it aqua Tofana. What does it mean? Tell me immediately. Water Tofana. It's her name. <laughs> she specifically packaged it so that it would just like blend in on a vanity. It would look like a lotion or a, or a moisturizer or something. So the colloquial name for it was Aqua Tofana. But the bottle itself was labeled Mana of St. Nicholas of Barry. <laughs> Which was like kind of known, like kind of like similar like St. John's Wort. Like it was known as a natural yeah, thing. That. It was like a popular healing oil for like blemishes, yeah. basically. So it looked like spot cream. So this shit was like so lethal so you could kill a man with about four to six drops but it took days for them to die so oh that's brilliant right potable can you imagine those days like just as like a lady who like clearly hates her husband right just swanning around the house like oh how are you feeling darling oh yeah for days (laughs) for days it would provide them with enough time to like get their affairs in order so like they would be able to write their will and ensure that all the shit was going to go to the wife they had time to do that because obviously it was like in that time like i have fallen ill i must ready my affairs so it basically like mimic this disease even though it was like our poison and then after like a third or a fourth dose then he'd get real bad real like kind of dysentery levels and then they would die like jelly juice it <gasps> Just like Jilly Juice. Call back. <laughs> this is a, a, an excerpt from a journal at the time. Ooh, well, I love it. 
To save her fair fame, the wife would demand a post-mortem examination. Result, nothing, except that the woman was able to pose as a slandered innocent, and then it would be remembered that her husband died without either pain, inflammation, fever, or spasms. If, after this, the woman within a year or two formed a new connection, nobody could blame her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. So it was a way that you'd be like, could clear, like, easily become a revered widow with lots of money, and no one thought you killed your husband because it looked like he just got sick, because in those days, you could you get sick and die after a few days yeah she had this business going for decades throughout the 17th century and she may have gone undiscovered forever had it not been for a bowl of soup (gasps) what as the story goes in 1650 a woman served her husband a bowl of soup laced with drops of this aquatofana poison uh-huh. But before her husband even took a spoonful, she felt so bad. Like, you know, it's one of those things of like she flung it off the table and she's like, no, do oh, not drink no. it. I don't know why I'm saying, oh no, to like this. Not. <laughs> no, she didn't kill him. Oh, <laughs> I know. I just realized I was like, I'm calling this lady a bad. I'm like, what a badass. And I'm like, I hope people like, I should also clarify. She was like, telling people. Poisoning is wrong. It's like, it's, yeah. But yeah. obviously, this, got, this was a bit sus. He was like, whoa way to overreact about the soup and he eventually made her confess what had happened so then he immediately turned her in and then it all came down to julia tofana and aqua tofana people started searching for her she escaped to a local church and was granted sanctuary so then a rumor got started that she'd put her little poison water in the in the water supply and everyone was like bah turn her in evil woman (laughs) Um, So after, you know, a cute little bit of torture, Julia Tofana confessed to killing as many as 600 men with the use and sale of her poison between the years of 1633 and 1651, making her the mastermind behind one of the most notorious murder plots in all of history. That's insane. Right? By selling that, you know you're killing people. It's like people yeah. who work yeah. on Santo. I guess, like, whatever her experience with being sold off at auction and married to a terrible man, and then she ended up using her poison, yeah, she, she was, was like, you know what? I can't be the only one. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly, women responded. Like, that's nuts that that... I mean, I mean, 600 women responded to being like, yeah, no, they suck. And the thing is, like, it's sold as a lotion. But it just happens to be poisonous if you ingest it. Yeah. Uh, and so it's like... That's well, clever. So she was like, I was selling a lotion. Yeah. Which yeah. Is very- what, what other people do with that lotion is their own business. That's right. like selling Lysol. And then the president tells you you could eat it. It's kind of like that. If you think about it, it's actually very like that. Isn't it Lysol's fault? It right. is kind of like that. Well, it, if Lysol didn't have like any other purpose. So... The legend concludes that Tofana was executed in Campo de Fiori in Rome in 1659 alongside her daughter and three (gasps) of their co-workers. And then additionally, over 40 of Tofana's lower class customers were executed while women of the upper class were either imprisoned or escaped punishment by insisting that they didn't know that their cosmetics were poisonous and their husband just died. Oh, come on. Yeah. yeah so, so what about those people? I mean, who among us, ladies, 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 hasn't accidentally gotten a little bit of our precious lotion into uh, <laughs> our man's food? Into a man's soup. Yeah. Yes. I put lotion in Connor's soup all the time. It keeps him strong. Yeah. <laughs> he likes it. Yeah. It makes him soft on the inside, which is how I like him. 
like some accounts assert that her reign of terror lasted actually much longer than that and that she wasn't um, executed until 1709 and I think that is because one of the most famous stories that is connected to Julia Tofana and Aqua Tofana uh-huh. is that some people believe that her concoction was what killed Mozart <gasps> what? now that you really buried the lead now on that, that one that is a twist <laughs> talk about a twist that is a good about it West. So, why do you think that, Ellie? In my research, I found that it was over a century later, but he fell ill at the age of 35 and he wrote, I feel definitely that I will not last much longer. I am sure that I have been poisoned. I cannot rid myself of this idea. Someone has given me aquatofana and calculated the precise time of my death. He wrote that. that. Mozart wrote that. Him writing that almost makes me feel suspicious that it wasn't that. That just sounds like something that like a deeply paranoid person would say. It is sort of the equivalent of us being like, I am on my deathbed now in 2020. Someone must have given me polio. Yeah. And it's oh, like, I wait, get it. what? I see what's happened here. Right. The deep state has slipped 5G into my iced coffee. And now I'm going to die tomorrow at 420 Blazet. At 420 Blazet? <laughs> It's not known what actually ex- did kill Mozart. It's not like officially ever recorded. And some people do believe it was Aquatofana. Oh, I thought it was because those beats were too sick. Also, though, like, Ooh. I don't know his deal. Was he married? Was he was he dating? Have you not seen Amadeus? But have you not seen that movie with Gary Oldman? No. Gar- it's not Gary Oldman. Mozart is played by the guy who plays the Hunchback of Notre Dame in Disney's <gasps> Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, the cartoon one? Yes, the cartoon one. Oh, okay. His Shit. name is Tom something. His name is Tom, Tom something. I forget. Tom Holchi? I have no idea how to pronounce that. Is he dating somebody? Oh, like Mozart. What? Married? Oh, I don't know. He was wild. I think he was married. Because my point is, if he was married or living with somebody, he would know what lotions she would like. He would would know her lotions. Also, like, maybe he saw Aqua Tofana and was like, this bitch. I'm trying to find out, but the New York Times is trying to make me pay. In this economy? This is, I do really want to, I want to clarify something really important really quickly. Okay. Which is that Gary Oldman played Ludwig van Beethoven in 1994's Immortal Beloved. That's what I was thinking of. A little different. Not Amadeus. Not that Amadeus. Was- it could have perhaps led to Mozart's demise in the same way that like anything could have. <laughs> so it'd be very hard to corroborate. As uh-huh. actually like Aquatofan and the, like, the recipe for it was never officially recorded. Yeah, but it yeah. was believed to be a mixture of arsenic, lead and belladonna. Ooh. Belladonna has become synonymous with the term beautiful woman, but yes. apparently its more accurate nickname is Deadly Nightshade. I know, it's like a tomato. So, a Belladonna's Belladonna. Yeah. Is the name of my story. That is a great title. Yeah, you, you really it. With that title. Wrap that up in a nice little bow. Thank you. Oh, that God. was the point. That was a very. Speaking well- of point. Speaking <laughs> of points. <laughs> Uh, I have to give you 10 off the bat because I think it was pretty well researched for something that happened in 16... Yeah. 420 Blazer. Yeah. 420 Blazer. 420 Blazer. Yeah, 1620. Thank you. Yeah. 10 for that. 
Also, I gotta throw in a point for the title because that yeah, so strong. I won't, I won't refute that. Thank you very much. That was such a good title. Mm, And I'm gonna throw in two more points. I'm gonna throw in three more points. Sometimes when you're living through a hard season, yes, it's nice to have like a Greek tragedy Mm. or something horrible to talk about that (laughs) doesn't involve your life. That isn't and like I, real right now. That isn't like real right now, but yeah. it's in fact real in uh, in 1620. So yeah. I got to thank you for that because hey, you're going to make my, my night's sleep and perhaps even tomorrow a little better. Oh, thanks. Yeah. We've talked up. about the importance of a little bit of levity now and then when, when times are like? really shit. Oh, <laughs> just man. to be clear, yeah. I mean, we are all more than just the sum of our tragedies. But also, Elisa, just to be clear, you're going to sleep better at night because of the story of a 500-year-old like murder story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a serial killer. Well, not because of the murder story, but because of the um, discussion and laughter that, mm. that came Oh, because of friendship? <laughs> Because of friendship, yeah. Because of the warmth of y'all's friendship. Maybe the real poison was the friends we made of. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to my twisty tale. Yeah. Oh, you guys, I am so happy to be back. I will come back any, any old time. Yes. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight. Thank you. Uh, you so what a joy. Always what a, a pleasure. Treasure. Uh, where can people find you? People can find me at two places, actually. If you're interested in my my personal life, like what is she up to? It's going to be at, by the way, it's Aliza, A-L-E-Z-A. And if you're interested in hearing a little music, a little little song to uh, make you feel better, and I hope you are, uh, you can follow me at at Aliza, A-L-E-Z-A, but there's a period in between those letters and it should be the only one. So Hell yeah. yeah. Oh man, it's like Ellie's uh, double title all over again. Two (sighs) places. Chelsea, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me at Chelsea Harfouch, wherever internets are sold. And you can find me at Ellie Main on Instagram and Ellie Maney on Twitter. That's M-A-I-N-E-Y. And you can find this podcast at WhatPod on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and a lot of other things at this point. Uh, okay. You can go to patreon.com forward slash WhatPod if you'd like to support us. We would love that. And you can go to those two girls.club to check out our merch and upcoming things and all that fun stuff. And thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of What. And yeah. uh, maybe, I don't know, <gasps> go learn something. Oh. oh my God, she did it. Chelsea, I'm going to need your sign off immediately. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, uh, that's right. Go for so, it. to all you cool cats out there, uh, mm. keep it loose, mm. keep it tight, say your prayers at night. 